Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of The Political Spotlight. I'm your host, Connor Mann, and today the spotlight is on Republican Michelle Salzman, who is running to represent District 1 in the Florida House of Representatives. She is looking to unseat Republican Mike Hill, who won that seat in 2018. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? I am doing well. Um, so you're on the political spotlight right now. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself to our listeners and why you wanted to run for office? Sure. Um, I'm just a full-time community volunteer and small business owner in northern Pensacola, Florida. And um, basically, I've just seen a huge need in the community for real representation of the people's needs. I've been on many, many boards in the community, varying from education to economic development to small businesses and veterans stuff. And I just see on the nonprofit side, a lot of filling in the gaps. You know, I see, I see where we're lacking in structure and coordination and um, more like, what's the word I'm looking for? Collaborative leadership. So I just see that need for collaborative leadership and here I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, can you, can you go into more detail about the committees that you serve on? Sure. Currently, I'm on about a dozen boards um, in Pensacola. I have been over the past decade on a minimum of 10 boards at one given time. Uh, currently, am the immediate past president for the Escambia County Council of PTAs, which is an executive board position still. I serve it as, as an advisor to the president and all of the presidents in Escambia County School District. I'm on the Pensacola Mess Hall Foundation Board, which is a nonprofit that supports math, engineering, science, and stuff, you know, the whole STEM thing. Yes, and then um, I am on the Advisory Council for Take Stock in Children, Pensacola, which is a um, mentor program in the school district that is all across the United States, or not the United States, the state of Florida specifically. And the children that participate in that program, when they're done with the program, they end up with a free scholarship if they've graduated through the program. I'm on the Escambia County Public Schools Foundation Board, which is the nonprofit that is directly connected to the Escambia County School District. I am on the Women's Advisory Board for West Florida Hospital. I am on um, the Crime Stoppers Board for Pensacola. Um, I'm on the board for Junior Achievement, Pensacola, and I know I'm missing some, but off the top of my head, I think that's the main of them that, that I have. I, uh, I've just rolled off of, um, what's the other board, Monument to Women Veterans, which is a nonprofit that's trying to get women veterans monument here in Pensacola so the veteran women uh, that have served here locally can be honored in some capacity. It would be the first women veteran monument, I believe, in the United States unless one is erected in the past couple of months. So I'm pretty proud of that, too. That's um, awesome. But boards like that, I mean, there's there's others that I, that I can't think of off the top of my head. I, I didn't prepare for that specific question um, because I pretty much am on those boards that speak to my heart. I don't really do it to check a box for a resume or anything, but um, oh, I'm on the Student Community Institute fundraising board. I'm on the uh, Rally Pensacola uh, committee for um, their only one and only fundraiser each year, which is um, Rally Pensacola. Um, 
uh, fashion show. So, but just a lot of nonprofits. The main focus is really veterans, children, and education. Um, I'm an ambassador for the Gulf Coast Kids House. So um, that's something I'm really proud of. I'm also a mentor for Vet Court, which is a uh, organization that's head by Judge Burgosh here in Pensacola. And basically, it's for veterans that get into some kind of trouble, not big trouble, but just some kind of trouble. And if they finish the program, then their charges are are um, pretty much, they, they, get a, they get a slate wiped clean so they can start all over again. And the mentors are there to kind of help guide their way. That's awesome. Uh, can so you I tell us? Think, yeah, I know, I know. I hate that I didn't really have that list for you, but I just do a, it, it's just a lot. I'll tell you, it's 40 hours a week nonstop in the community, just connecting people with resources. So I've um, just been doing that for a long time. I can tell you that personally, oh, I'm a member of Impact 100, which is super cool. I know a lot of people know what that is. Um, but personally, I just, I, I literally put my hands on millions of dollars every year and just to help place throughout the community where there's need. So I just saw that need for real representation at the state level. You know, we have a lot of funding problems here locally, and every representative in the House of Representatives is given the opportunity to request money for their district. And even if you don't ask for the money, the money is going to be spent somewhere, right? It's the budget. We yes, all know ma'am. how that works. You know, they, they give you $90 billion and you spend it. You're not going to go, oh, we don't need that and put it back. So our current representation is not even asking for any money. None. So when you don't even ask for the money for your district, you're certainly not going to be considered to get any of the money. So one of my first concerns is I see how a lot of the philanthropy in the the community is trying to fill the gaps, but we do have the money there that we're not even trying to ask for to use to help fill those gaps. And then I also see a need because our, our current representative is not in a good relationship with the other representatives or any of the leadership in the community for that matter. And when you're talking about major projects or things that need to be done, wouldn't it be nice to have a partnership at the state level, somebody that's really advocating for the needs of the community that, that has the ear of Tallahassee? You know, and so I, I just see that need for that collaborative leadership. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to agree with everybody you're sitting at the table with, but you do have to respect their opinion and at least give them the opportunity to provide that input. Now, can we, uh, you mentioned a lot about military service. Have you served um, and what branch did you serve? And can you tell us a little bit about your time in service? Sure. I was a... Um, soldier in the army. I joined when I was 17. I graduated from Pine Forest High School a year early and I joined the army right after Pine Forest and uh, went to Fort, um, where did I go? Fort Jackson and uh, had my basic training and then did my AIT there and then I was pushed off to overseas to Germany where I was stationed in Hanau uh, and I was in Hanau about a week and then they said okay you got two choices you can deploy now or you can deploy in six months. <laughs> and I was like, well, if I go now, so, I mean, it was, it was so quick. I was in a Humvee and headed out. And before I knew it, I was in Tuzla, Bosnia. I was part of an advanced party of six. Um, we were deployed to a combat zone on a peacekeeping mission. So very unique there. It was one of the first times we had done something like that. And, um, I really, uh, uh, it was, it was a real, um, learning experience for me because imagine I was 18 at that point. So, I mean, 18 years old in a, in a combat zone like that, but, um, it was a lot of fun. I loved the army. I did logistics. I was always stationed. 
um, or the first four years I was in aviation, um, I was in a Black Hawk battalion, and then I was um, supported a um, Longbow Apache battalion for a little while as well. But I went to Fort McClellan and did the Brent closure there. I closed it down. Basically, that means I helped close the fort, you know. Yes, ma'am. And then I moved on to Fort Rucker, and that's where I was medically um, discharged, and I am pretty much medically retired. I'm a service-connected um uh, army veteran so um but i loved my time in service i i think that that's a part of the problem that we have here in america this is the first generation of non-draft and so you have a lot of people out there that, that have never served and don't know what the meaning of you know true sacrifice is so i think that entitlement that we're seeing a lot of um i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were literally given the freedom and they didn't really have to earn it so there's a lot to be said about people that have served in the service especially those that have served in combat or downrange of some capacity so um i i think that my time in service you know, it saved my life, honestly. Um, and I think that everybody should be willing to serve for their country if they really appreciate America as it stands. And um, now I do a lot of, uh, a lot, as much as I can to support the veteran community. Of course, I'm a member of the American Legion and um, I sponsor a lot of veterans programs here locally. And I do a lot of mentoring of veteran business owners. And I am a member of the Minority Chamber of Commerce. Um, of course, the Chamber of Commerce as well, but I just I, I think that we should support one another, and this is a very um, uh, well-populated veteran area, so of course the veteran need is a lot higher here, um, and I think that they're not as represented as they should be by the state as well here locally. I think a lot of the resources that are being pushed all over the state, that the, the, this end of the panhandle gets forgotten a little bit too much. And I think we need an advocate there that's really talking about veterans' rights and, and what we can do to help our veterans here locally. Yes, ma'am. And thank you very much for your service, uh, making a big sacrifice of your life uh, entering the service and protecting our country. Um, I would like to now shift thought on COVID-19. Where do you stand um with the whole pandemic that is affecting our nation and how is it personally affecting your campaign? Well, um, it's, it's a tragedy for sure. And I think that the most important thing that we need to do is support leadership. Um, and I don't know if it's because I was in the service or just because it's who I am, but, um, the most important thing we can do is support those that are in charge. You know, we can argue about the details later and we can change the laws and we can write our own fancy handbook about how to survive a pandemic when it's all said and done. But the truth of the matter is not one person that is in, in charge of anything has any experience with a pandemic. So we have no right to tell them, you know, how to be. So I, I think that we can all criticize what's been done, but if we're not in charge, then we, you know, it, it, it's easy for us to say, well, this is how you do it. Until you're put the one that's got the, you know, finger on the trigger, it's not that easy. I'll tell you, I don't, I don't like the fact that we give up our liberty so easily, but we can go back to the conversation about responsibility and, you know, that entitlement thing. They've been telling America for months, this thing is coming. Try social distancing. You know, you know, we had the Mardi Gras parades. We had those kids at spring break. I mean, we had all this stuff going on. And, the, and America said, listen, you know, 
this is happening. And everybody thought it was a joke. People tried to spin it off into something, then call it fake news and, you know, the socialist agenda or whatever. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the president is saying that we have a problem, so we should have been following orders. But we don't because it's not an order, right? It was just a suggestion. So the moment that it becomes an order, people start following the rules. And I think that's the problem. People are behaving a certain way because they don't respect authority and they don't respect, you know, liberty itself. So we have to – the government is taking away our rights because the people don't know how to behave. If You know, if I had the magic wand, I wouldn't have closed businesses. I would have put more um, emphasis on the people and I would have put the um, – what do you call it? I would – I'm trying to think of the word consequences. I would have put the consequences on the people for misbehaving. I wouldn't have shut down the businesses to make the people behave. Does that make sense? Definitely. Uh, but but it's not my you know it's not my call. I think what the most important thing we need to be doing right now is supporting the president, support the governor, support the mayor. Um, I do feel personally, um, my business was shut down about ninety percent. My husband was laid off, so we have no you know we're not working either. So when you talk about how does it affect you, well, it affects me a lot, but that's not the president's fault. You know, that's not the governor's fault. This is a pandemic, and what we need to do is work together and make America great again, right? So um, how the how it's affected my campaign specifically? Well, before all of this happened, I was knocking doors every day. Um, we were out there in the community nonstop. I mean, it was every day we were doing something, and of course this happens and we can't do that anymore. So the campaign has been shifted from a physical door knocking to a social media and email platform. You know, we, we got to do what we can. But because I'm not, you know, my business isn't really doing much and, and um, my husband was laid off, we're able to focus even more time. <laughs> so, you know, we have time that we, you know, I've got a little one and we're homeschooling him, you know, or virtual schooling him. But we do have a lot more time now because we're at home more. So, I mean, it's got its plus and its minuses um, campaign-wise, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's God's will, and, you know, I'm just thankful for what we have. Definitely. Um, now, right now, currently, we are represented by Mike Hill. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts, would you like to comment, on what sets you apart from Mike Hill? Sure. Um, Mike's a great guy, you know, I... I, it's, this isn't anything personal, and it's not anything against his Christian beliefs or his conservative values. This is about being effective. The best way to describe the difference between me and Mike Hill is you're at a football game, or you're at a basketball game, or you know some sort of sports game. You know, you got those cheerleaders there because they really they they get things motivated. Everybody gets motivated when people are cheering for them, right? The the cause is known. People know what's going on. You know, the cheerleaders are telling you whenever you need defense or tackle or whatever. And then you've got the quarterback on the football team who's actually making the plays and making it happen. So I look at Mike as somebody that cheers on the subject. You know, he's a great cheerleader for pro-life. He's a great cheerleader for 2A, but he doesn't, he doesn't score. You know, he's been in office almost six years, and he's never passed a bill. And, you know, I talk to folks, and some of them say, but I don't want any more laws. And I'm like, wait a minute, laws can repeal laws. Laws can bring money and funding. You know, you can't get any money from Tallahassee without an appropriations bill. So when I say he hasn't passed any bills, I'm not talking about, you know, making new laws or restrictions. I mean any type of anything. He has not 
had any actionable results in Tallahassee. And it's not that he's not screaming as loud as he can. It's not that he doesn't have the right ideas. He just isn't the quarterback. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, he's a great guy. So, I mean, and I and I say it all the time. I'd love to have him, you know, you know, on my cheering squad. Like, if this really is about pro life and Second Amendment, then when I'm elected, let's do it. Like, he's got <laughs> a very large reach in the the pro life community, not necessarily the Second Amendment community, but the pro life community he does. And you know, we can work together. Absolutely. Well, since we're t- uh, on the subject of pro life, where do you stand? Oh, I'm I'm unequivocally pro life. Just uh, just pro-life, I mean, I, I can tell personal stories about where I had to make a choice between myself and, and what the doctor said, and, and I chose, you know, I chose the baby. And so um, I personally have had to have, make those choices myself. So I know, you know, I've been, I've been on that hard road. I've had set right there, and I've had to make that choice. So it's not just about me saying what I think other people should do or, you know, telling another woman what to do with her body or anything this is real like i've been there and i've done it um i've had to make that choice myself and and i i would never change that choice you know it 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 was it was always about the baby you know it's it's god that makes the decision it's not us so i am certainly pro-life um but that's not all i am and that's that's another differentiator between myself and my opponent is i can focus on that and other things you know, I can I can be one thing and be something else. You know, a, a full Republican isn't just about the social issues. A full Republican also is about real reform. It's about small government. You know, and and I think we can do all of those things. While researching, um, you said that a, a Republican look at can look at more than social issues. When I was researching, I definitely saw on your campaign Facebook page that you championed gun control. Um, a better health care system, education, and among many other issues. Um, what do you believe are the biggest problems facing the state of Florida? And if elected, what would you do to solve them? Interesting. Well, right now, I think the biggest problem is our um, invisible em- enemy, this pandemic. You know, I've been filling out those questionnaires for um, various groups in Tallahassee, and, and it's interesting the shift in mindset before and after COVID, you know, and so um, I'll tell you that that, that's going to be our biggest problem. And and the budget is going to be a big issue now because we're going to have to reevaluate. Our tax revenue is not the same. And my biggest concern for the budget is education. Um, It's not a punchline. You know, I, 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 I am a huge champion of education. I'll tell you, it's the first thing I think of in any conversation that I'm having when it comes to the economy or, you know, the community as a whole, because education is the cornerstone of economic development. And that is not a punchline. That is the truth. If we are not educating our workforce, we are not going to have a workforce, which means we're not going to have business, which means we're not going to have e-commerce, you know. And so um, how do you get a better education system? Well, most of that isn't even the government. You know, most of that is the family values and the family. uh, Yeah, pretty much the family values that, that we don't have in our families anymore. People are so quick to get up and drop their kid off somewhere and assume that someone else is going to teach them all the right thing. And and it's not that parents don't want to be good parents. They just don't understand why, why you should sit down and read your child a book and, you know, do those things that you should be doing. So I think one of the biggest things that we're going to be focused on is how do we redo the budget in a way that isn't hurting what's most important to our economy. And where do you stand on health care? 
what what do you mean where do I stand on health care? I'm sorry. So in when elected, if elected, what will you do to improve the health care system here in the state of Florida? I think we need better access to health care. And um, the way that we've learned something through COVID is telemedicine. You know, um, it's been very interesting how telemedicine was like the most dangerous thing in the world. We, you know, people were saying all the time, and yet here we are. That's how we have a lot of doctor's appointments right now. So I think that there's a lot of out-of-the-box solutions that we can create that um, that aren't imposing government restriction on people or, or government doesn't get involved and certainly um, not increasing taxes or anything. There are some really cool things that we can do if we just eliminate government from the conversation. Definitely. And something that I've noticed on your campaign signs, at the bottom of your campaign signs, I've seen the Bible verse Jeremiah 1.5. Why did you choose to put Jeremiah 1.5 uh, on your campaign signs? Sure. Um, well, I, I had a lot of, I've, I've always been a Christian. I, I mean, I grew up in East Brant Baptist. Um, I went to church there for many, many, many years until I joined the Army. And um, I've been a member of a lot of different churches, mainly Hillcrest, um, now Marcus Point Baptist. And I'll tell you, the biggest thing for me is a Christian is not somebody that goes around and says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and quoting Bible verses. It's like the last thing that you would hear Michelle do all the time. And so whenever I filed a run and I'm talking to folks, they're like, I didn't know, or are you really this? And it's like, you know, this is, this is, and I'm going to tell you the truth. Every day I wake up and I, and I pray and I ask God, what can I do to make this world a better place? I say, I want you to, I want to live the way that you want me to live. And I want people to look at me and say, that's a good person. That's a Christian. They don't need to listen to me. Tell them about first Corinthians or Romans or Genesis that I shouldn't have to quote any Bible verse at all. I want them to look at my actions and say, that is a really good person. I want to be like that person. I don't, I don't want to be the one that has to tell somebody I'm a Christian. And I have lived that life for many decades. That is how I have always lived. But during this campaign, there have been a lot of questions about my Christianity. I have people literally just yesterday, somebody posted on a thing that says, you're not my kind of Christian. What is wow. that? What even is your kind? You know, I'm sorry. I'm not the judgmental Christian. You're absolutely right. I would rather sit with a homeless man. I would rather sit with a murderer. I would rather sit with a molester. And I would rather talk to them and let them see what a Christian is supposed to be like. I would rather sit with them and let them see what happens when you're a good person than sit back and tell people what Christianity is. So in, that, in saying all that, the Bible verse on there says a lot. I have been through a very hard life. I was molested as a child by my family. I was kidnapped at a younger age. I, I got a dumpsters. I lived in um, condemned homes and had to borrow water from water hoses. And I mean, I went to combat. I have been through a really hard life. And at the end of the day, what gets me through it is I know it's God's plan. And Jeremiah talks about being in God's plan. Everything that he puts in front of us is for a reason. Everything. I'm not saying that I am the chosen one, like, you know, Jeremiah, but I am saying that it's all for a reason. It's all God's plan. 
every single part of it to include the baby in your womb that hasn't been born yet. That's God's, that's God's plan to include, you know, the, the murders that happen or your, you know, the car accidents or, you know, whatever it is that happens in your life. It's all, it's not, it's not about you or what you want. It's about what the plan is and you just have to trust in that. So we put that on there because I think it was so relevant to so many things and um, it just, it really speaks to me. Now, I'll tell you, I had a lot of controversy within, you know, and everybody was like, oh, you should do something like John 316 or something. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's okay. I don't, it's okay. You know, I don't want to be generic. I wanted to be something that means something to me. And so that's why we chose that. Well, thank you so much for everything that you do for our community and everything you have done for our country. The last thing I want to do um, is a little segment that we are going to do on this podcast called The Spotlight. At the end of an interview, uh, we're going to roll out the spotlight and let you announce to our listeners things that you have going on in your campaign, where they can reach you, and where they can get campaign materials. So, the spotlight's on you. Where do we get those things? Awesome. Thank you. Well, I am Michelle Salzman, your Republican Florida House representative candidate, and I would love for you to consider voting for me on August the 18th. Um, you can find information about me on votesalzman.com. That's vote, S-A-L-Z-M-A-N.com. You can reach out to me through that by clicking info or contact me. You can request a yard sign or more information. It is a very thorough website with very detailed information on all the major topics through the community. You can always call me at 850-207-5024. That's my cell phone number. I encourage people to call or text anytime as well. I also have a Facebook page, and you can just find me at The People's Conservative. Literally, just type in The People's Conservative, and that's what my Facebook page is called because I believe I represent all people, and we talked about that earlier. But I do encourage you to research me. Reach out if you do have questions, and I appreciate your consideration. All right. Thank you so much, Michelle. Um, and to our listeners, thank you for listening. If you are a candidate or a politician that would love to come on, email us at the political spotlight or political spotlight pod at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.